0: Being on the recipient end, it was interesting because I didn't realize, I think at the time that I was donating, that it's not just for car crashes or massive shootings or something that people need the blood for, but it's everyday people who are getting cancer treatment or some other treatment that impacts the need for blood and platelets.
1: Hi, I'm Bill Harper and this is Bloodworks 101. The three time Anthem Award winning podcast from the Pacific Northwest Primary Blood Center, Bloodworks Northwest. The voice we just heard there was University of Washington sociology professor and mother of two, Alexis Harris. In 2016, she was diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome, or MDS, a blood disorder and type of cancer that causes the blood producing cells in the bone marrow to become abnormal and produce defective blood cells. Since her diagnosis, she's come to know the other side of giving blood receiving over 50 units during her treatment. She is now in remission. The only path to a cure MDS patients have is to undergo a stem cell or bone marrow transplant. How she got her transplant represents the second miracle that can happen at childbirth. And how she almost didn't make it represents a grave health disparity that we must address on this and every Black History Month. This is her story.
0: So I'm from Seattle. I grew up in Madrona, actually. Uh, went to Garfield High School, um, and then went to University of Washington as an undergrad. So I'm a, a homegrown girl who bleeds yeah. purple. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, a Huskies fan, no doubt. Then mm-hmm.
0: definitely, definitely,
1: <laughs> evidently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my friend and colleague John Yeagers tells me that you received quite a bit of blood. Can you just tell me a little bit about?
0: <laughs> sure. In 2016, I was diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome (MDS). It's a um, a blood disorder, uh, like leukemia. And so, uh, immediately within the next month I had, um, uh, I was inpatient intensive chemo for a week and, uh, chemotherapy affected my body so much, um, that I needed several blood transfusions and platelet transfusions. And so, um, I actually went back when I saw the questions um, about the number of transfusions. I went back through my whole e-care record and I counted at least 50 mm-hmm. um, transfusions because I had, so that was, um, I did the chemo in June of 2016. And then September, I did more, another round of intensive chemo and then was hospitalized. Uh, well, I was hospitalized for that and then hospitalized for a stem cell transplant. Wow. and so in the hospital for 30 days. So I needed that more transfusions uh, while in the hospital and then post transplant, um, maybe at least six months post transplant, I was still getting
1: transfusions. Absolutely. So when you were going back and looking at those records, like how did it, um, were you shocked to just see that number? Like what, what, were what feelings did you have when you saw that? that- I was shocked.
0: Just totally shocked because I had some paperwork that Describes me as receiving over 25. So that's what the number I thought it was at. But when I started counting, because there's a, it, in the record, it shows a blood hold. Uh, when they type, I remember they always would type your blood, make sure they give you the right blood. My uh, blood type, because of the transplant, actually changed over time. Um, but yeah, I was like, sh- I was shocked at the, <laughs> the numbers that I received. I remember that. I remember having them. Um, it was a lot.
1: Yeah, of course. So when you were in patient, at the, I mean, goodness, the ICU. What were those? As you were getting those transfusions, did you ever think about, you know, the donors a few days prior that just you know sat down, donated that blood that made its way to you? Did you ever think about them? Or
0: definitely, I thought about them. And from what I understand, platelets takes longer for donation too, and I need a lot of platelet. Um, Growing up, my dad, I can't remember what type, blood type he was, but he was a rare blood type. And so he donated all the time. It was kind of a norm for our family. We knew that he would go, you know, he came from the stop it to donate blood on the way home from work. And so when I was in college um, and grad school, I donated regularly. I didn't have a rare type, but that was the norm in our family. So I know what the process is. Um, and I know um, You know, it's time out of people's day. You might feel a little woozy afterwards, Um, but being on the recipient end, it was interesting because I didn't realize, I think at the time that I was donating, that it's not just for car crashes or massive shootings or something that people need the blood for, but it's everyday people who are getting cancer treatment or some other treatment that impacts the need for blood and platelets. Um, so that's what I was thinking about. Like, wow, I didn't realize that one day I would be needing these. And there's so many people in that building, you know, when I was treated at UW med and Fred Hutch that were getting blood transfusions. So many people in need.
1: Yeah. It must've just really brought the whole, that whole, as you say, it's a family tradition. I uh, brought it full circle and really made it real for you in a way that you could never have imagined. huh?
0: Right. To- totally. Like, um, I guess when I donated and when my dad did, I never thought of who it would go for. I just knew there was a need, but having gone through cancer and then, you know, I don't think there's any one of us that our lives haven't been touched in way by cancer, grandma, auntie, you know, whomever that maybe they would need the blood as well. Like that you just realize how many people out there are living because of people being willing to go and donate their blood.
1: Wow, well, that's so well said. Our statistic that Bloodworks has is one in four people are going to need a blood transfusion at some point along the way. And you're right, it's cancer patients and it's accident victims. It's people that have lifelong blood disorders, just all kinds of different people. And it's, my sister said once that it's not your world until it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an incredible perspective. I'm um, so are you in remission now from MDS or... I, don't-
0: I am. I am. My, my, transplant definitely saved my life and I'm in remission seven years out and just got lab work <laughs> recently. Um, and it's all looking good. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, congratulations. That's a, that's a wonderful feeling. Thank uh, and talk to me about the process of finding a donor. I know um, for different groups, it can be pretty challenging. Is that, how did you find out that you needed a stem cell transplant and then what was it like finding a donor?
0: Yeah. So, um, I, the first goal with after my um, diagnosis was putting it in remission. And so we did that with the chemo. And then after I did another bone marrow biopsy and it showed that the um, cancer was in remission, then they said, okay, we need to turn to finding you a donor for a stem cell transplant. I have a twin brother. I knew. You know we're fraternal, so I knew that the he, he would have the same chance of matching as a sibling. Um, but he didn't match, which was devastating. Because at that point, you're like, I need a stranger to save my life. This is scary. Like my family can't do it. And we moved forward, and um, I received an email from nmdp hmm. saying you know sometime in your life you signed up to potentially save someone's life as a bone marrow donor mm-hmm. we might have found a match for, uh, a person who needs a donation wow so i read that and i realized that i had remembered i'd signed up when i was in my 20s when i was in college i signed up for the bone marrow registry and it's a double blind process so they didn't know that they were searching for me and they found me
1: (laughs) to donate for myself. So my 20 year
0: old self, I say, was, was trying to save my 40 year old self. So it was mind blowing. Um, and then I was told that there were two potential donors and then told later that they both declined to move forward with the process. So it was a very bumpy road, um, emotional road. And then we, my husband and I went in to sign the paperwork. We were told that you have to go with, um, plan B, which is a mixed match Mm -hmm. donation, which may extend your life for two years or more, but this two years are good outcomes. So my kids were five and eight, and I decided I just, anytime, right? Anytime would be important. And so um, we went in to sign that. That's what we thought we were doing, was meeting with the transplant doc and signing permission and all that informed consent. And the transplant doc happened to be Filippo Milano who specializes in cord blood and has clinical trials in cord blood transplant. And he said, no, I think I might have an alternative for you and explained it to me and my husband actually gave us an article. And so I, you know, I'm a social scientist. I read it, you know, I'm not a natural scientist, but I, I can understand a little bit of it. So we said, why not? And so we met with another transplant doc who informed us and gave us informed consent. Um, and I signed up for his clinical trial. So two babies, cord blood was what saved my life. I know I started in grafting 17 days post the um, transplant. It's interesting because I had two bags. So one, the, the female bag was the one that took and the male bag didn't, but they told me either way. So if the male took, I would change chromosomes. And if the female took, I'd change blood types. So it was really interesting
1: science Ooh. lesson. God, that's incredible. I know Bloodworks has a lot of work with cord blood and just trying to have a cord blood bank. And it's uh, um, somebody, a doctor somewhere along the way said, actually it was Colleen Delaney who runs a, um, a company. She used to be in the Fred Hutch system and everything. And then she went the, <laughs> Yeah. I've been
0: uh, I was on a panel with her. Yeah. She's oh my, my God. super He's
1: <laughs> She's the best. Oh my, yeah. She's my friend. And she said, oh, she
0: is? Oh, yeah, wow.
1: have coffee and stuff, but she said, it's like, it's the most, like it's this medical waste, right? Like it's something that we just throw away. But so like you can just, if, if you have the, the you know the nurses trained and the midwives trained and stuff to just preserve it in that way, like it can make such a huge difference like it did for you. I mean, that's incredible.
0: That And that's the same thing I say. It's, it's literally treated as garbage in most hospitals. and mm-hmm. The garbage saved my life. Yeah. Um, and if we could have more programs, training, funding, that would allow for the collection of that material. But then also I'm learning that a lot of facilities aren't, uh, trained or equipped to handle patients um, who go through cord blood because there's different protocols, yeah. um, different things to be leery of after the transplant. And I was just so fortunate to be at Fred Hutch and UW Medicine for that.
1: Yeah. No, what I love about, um, I've talked with Colleen about this a lot and that the HLA typing thing is kind of out the window because the cells are so immature that they don't really have an identity yet. And I just like, yeah. I know that there are so many people that I know a kid that passed away he was four years old. Cause he didn't have a match and he yeah. didn't do cord blood, but like to not have to worry about that. I mean, that's transformative. That changes everything. Oh,
0: and especially, well, not especially for everyone, but yeah. you know,
1: I'm mixed race.
0: My dad was Filipino and black African-American and my mom's white. I knew it was really hard and I had much lower chances of finding a hundred percent match unrelated donor. Um, so core blood could really be something that addresses some of the disparities in cancer outcomes, blood cancer outcomes for patients of color, uh, Latino, Asian American, Native American, and African American and mixed race. Um, yeah, I also knew someone who was African American. It was just too late. It, he was in Texas. And once I connected him with um, Dr. Milano, Milano was willing to see if he would be eligible for the trial. But um, the, he, the patient, the young man, he was so sick. Um, he couldn't have the transplant.
1: Yeah, that's an incredible story. I'm so glad to hear you're doing well. I got a transplant too. I got leukemia in 2010. And wow. So I know that what that's like. And it's just, you know, and I, my, so when I started working at Bloodworks and I just left there like a year ago or so, but I worked there for three years, and one of the first things I did was ask them to look up how many units that I that I had. Yeah. It was 267. Wow. Um, both for, you know, the standard chemo stuff, but then, and the transplant, I just ended up needing a bunch of surgery and stuff. And I totally hear and echo what you're saying about, you know, you see that number and, like, sitting in those rooms. And, like, your parents are there, your sister's there, and this blood is dripping into you that someone took that time out of their day to do for you and just it's like it's humbling and it's gratifying and it's hope giving it's
0: yeah 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 no i uh i uh i my my first one i actually had a really bad allergic reaction like really bad (laughs) but it was kind of it was funny it wasn't funny my cousin came my husband was there and uh i was just so hopped up on they maxed me out on all the drugs to Mm -hmm. um so i don't know what it was um Benadryl, they maxed me out. They maxed me out everything. So I was a little high and we were just cracking up because yeah. this rash had taken over my body. Um, so it's it, it was a bitter, it's like, you know, it was, it was the good and the bad of it. But mm-hmm. I know I needed them and they saved my life. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, I think that I sometimes this is me trying to find the fun parts, of, not the fun okay. parts, but the funny parts of it. Yeah.
1: You have to laugh at it. I mean, it, and I think what I found laughing at something that that's really hurtful, it like, just takes this power away. Um, it does, definitely it does. Does. what an amazing story and you're just you know life now back to back to working and
0: yeah back to working i have some fatigue still it's related memory issues um uh I, they call it the, a baby rash nasty like eczema i never had that before
1: yeah same uh, right.
0: but it's I, i'm living so yeah
1: Exactly. You're living. That's what's yeah. important. I try to ask everybody I talk to these, you know, the same question. If you could, if there was a blood donor, somebody who donated blood to you, like sitting here instead of me, what would you say to them?
0: If somebody that's donated to me? Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for stopping by Bloodworks on your day off or after work or before work or school and just thinking about somebody else besides yourself and being willing to sit there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes and donate that blood literally saved my life um, and millions of other lives.
1: For many people like Alexis, a cord blood transplant is their only path to surviving cancer. But she was lucky. She was in a part of the country where cord blood collection is supported by the local hospitals and blood center. Were that not the case, the National Marrow Donor Registry would have been her only hope. And that brings up another point. Her doctors did activate a search for her on the registry. And they found two matched donors, which is great news for a moment. Until like 50% of the potential donors on the registry do when they get the letter that they have a life to save they said no. Not to mention that according to the NMDP, if you're looking for a stem cell donor and you're black, you'll have only a 29% chance of finding one. Asian American or Pacific Islander, you'll have 47. Hispanic or Latino, you've got 48. Native American, 60, and white, 79%. Health disparities across demographic groups are rampant in this country, and this one is easy to fix. We all just have to do our part. So, if you take one lesson from this podcast episode please let it be this donate blood then join the national marrow donor registry by going to bethematch.org join alexis did and she donated blood for years not really thinking about who was on the other end there's no way to prepare for the changes life makes in an instant be it a doctor's muttered words or the jerk of a steering wheel but these two simple acts will make a difference want proof alexis has seven years of it and I have 13. This has been another episode of Bloodworks 101. I'm Bill Harper, and thank you for listening. Please subscribe, please donate blood. If you're expecting a child, look into donating your baby's cord blood and make the first act of their life to save another. And please, go to bethematch.org join and become a potential stem cell donor. Because out there somewhere, there's someone only you can save.